Hey everybody, my name is Alex and this is Lunchbox Radio. Now, before we get into it, I just want to encourage you, if you haven't listened to the previous episode of the podcast, that, that was the episode all about the live-action adaptation of Drops of God that's over on, actually, Apple TV+. Plus. So, you should, I think you should definitely check that out. I have a lot of thoughts about this thing. I will finish this thing at some point. It is, it is a lot of stuff all at once, and it. You should go listen to that if you want. To, if you are at all curious as to my thoughts about a live-action adaptation of an anime property being made as a streaming original TV format show for the Apple streaming service. You should probably go. You should probably go listen to that, and it's available wherever you're hearing me right now. So definitely go check that out. But on that note, I have a feeling that what I'm about to dive into is going to be a a big weird topic, and that's because what I'm about to dive into is not so much a specific show, but a property and and a, and a franchise of a property, and that is. A little phenomenon, I'm going to call it, known as Lupin the Third. Anime Considered. Lunchbox Radio. Now, I, I, the thing that made me jump into Lupin for this episode was kind of coming back to, finally, the Lupin the Third Part 6 show that actually was simulcast last year. I'm getting around to it now because, especially with things that I, like, deeply love, oftentimes my brain's like, oh, that's good, you should watch that, but we won't do that for the next... Six to twenty-four months, like a dumbass. So I spend a lot of time just like not watching the thing I like because I'm a dummy. And then eventually I forget about it, and then I was like, "Oh, that's right. I should I should watch that." And the reason why I came back to Lupin, and I was like, "Oh, there's Lupin I haven't watched yet," is for because of a one of my personal favorite of all times, like with a bullet. YouTube video essayist, a um, guy who, his, his channel is called The Nightly Bread Sword, and he does, if you've, if you've never heard, if you've never heard of him, definitely go check him out, his videos are long, his videos are like an hour to like three hours long, but they are, in the same way that Tim Rogers' videos are worth it, his videos are worth it, <laughs> in that he it's exactly what he says in the opening is he's really smart and he's talking about different things. Sometimes it's a show. Sometimes it's just like a rough concept, but he attacks it from so many different angles that it's, it's always really interesting. And the most recent one he did that he did, like I want to say last week sometime was all about 
Lupin the Third, Castle of Cagliostro. Hey, if you've never seen Castle of Cagliostro, I'll probably if I haven't talked about it here, I don't remember if I have. I probably have. I'll definitely talk about it here at some point. Um, not only on this episode, but also like as its own thing because it deserves its own thing because it's the first, it's the first film Hayao Miyazaki was ever like given to direct. So, you know, it's a big deal. Um, and not just because of that, but also because it's it, it functions as a great introduction to Lupin as a concept and to specifically. Hayao Miyazaki's vision of Lupin as a concept. Um, and and the original vision of Lupin by Monkey Punch, who I know is dead, but he hates that name, and I don't remember his real name. The original vision of, Mon- of Lupin by Monkey Punch is very different than the Lupin you often see in shows now. And also the way Lupin as a show has <laughs> become... In its formula, because there's a, there's a definite formula to the to the arrows of Lupin. They're like different, and those are usually marked by the j- color clothing you wear. It's usually there's there's green jacket, there's red jacket, there's pink jacket, there's blue jacket, there's other blue jacket, and those are used. Those colors are used to tell what time period you are you're in. And then also there's the woman called Fujiko Mine and Lupin the First and all this other stuff. But the reason why I want to talk about this was because it... I think it's a really interesting thing because this... You have this beloved, you have this beloved character who, according to, uh, according to the universe, is essentially a was Monkey Punch's self-insert for what if I got to be James Bond as a gentleman thief and I could rip the name because copyright law is is real. It's real easy to mess around with, kids. From a famous French thief and also incorporate him into the, into the story for, and also into the background of that character pretty much formally. And... What you got at first was something very much closer to Lupin as a bad guy. Lupin as a bad fucking person. Like, there are... Like, the reason in in the first... In the first season of Lupin, in the first part, the reason he drives some of the car he drives is because they are associated with Nazi Germany. That's also the reason why he uses a German gun. Like... Some downright evil shit. <laughs> Even if it's only metaphorically. And that's done on purpose. And then at some point you get... And if you want a great like beat-for-beat explanation of like the back end of what's happening... Of what's happening when I'm telling you kind of like his, the, the character's progression through time... Definitely go find that breadsword video. I'll probably link it in the description of this podcast. So you can... Because he, like, straight up tells you exactly what the deal is. And why certain things go certain ways. But basically... The original directors stopped 
doing what they were doing, and it got, went into the hands of Isao Takahata and Hayao Miyazaki for a period of time. And that's where you get a more fun-loving, jovial, less downright evil Lupin. That's where you get a kind of gentleman thief instead of just a, like, dirty, rotten, scoundrel thief. And if you watch the first, the first season of Lupin, he's a lot less likable. <laughs> Is what I'll say. Like, he's still cool as shit, but he's... He does some genuinely bad stuff. Then you get the kind of soul-crushing musical phenomenon that is part two. And you, and the key thing you get with part two, and the really... The most interesting thing about Lupin, about the Lupin the Third as a property, is it takes pieces forward from every single part. So, a lot of the stuff they took forward from the first part are, for example, Lupin's gun is still that German gun. And he, like, he still, he still has moments of, like, conniving and straight up evil. <laughs> like, he will still kill a bitch. It, it does not matter to him. <laughs> in fact, in part six, there's a section where he is surprised that Fujiko did not just off a dude. <laughs> and so, in the case of part two, you get a more fun-loving Lupin, but you also get the, like, iconic theme song. And the icon iconic theme song has become the base for every Lupin theme that has come since. And interestingly enough, from part three onward, they've been kind of layering different parts of different versions of that theme song together until you get to now part six, which is its own really interesting, like, blend of all of the famous Lupin opening songs, including Fire Treasure in its way, together. And it's a, it's a fun thing. And then you get part three, and part three is not as well, is not as much loved as what's referred to as Red Jacket Part Two Lupin. It just isn't because it just isn't. And then it kind of drops off to face the earth for a while, for a long time. For I think like part three was in the nineties, and part. Four was announced in like 2015 or some junk. If I if I'm remembering correctly, it was announced probably in two, in like 2015 or somewhere thereabout, and it like came back with a bang. But the thing that happened in between those was a different show called the called the woman named Fujiko Mai called Lupin the Third. A woman named Fujiko Mine. And that was so... It was so... Experimental and different. Not just in its... Treatment of the characters. But then anything else in its time. So that came out in 2019. And... The focus of that show wasn't even Lupin. It was Fujiko. And it was... It, it essentially served and 
it and its subsequent movies served for as kind of history lessons on on the other three characters on the on the other four characters in that in kind of the main cast and those characters are Fujiko Mine, Goemon Ishikawa, Inspector I think it's Ikichi Zenigata, I don't forget his name, and and Daisuke Jigen, Lupin's like best friend, right man, right hand man, and like expert gunslinger. Goemon Ichikawa is the it's the samurai dude. And so first off, the the movies for the movies that surrounded Fujiko Mine, I think it was like Daisuke Jigen's gravestone was is the one that stands out in my brain. Give you give those characters weight and presence in a way that they don't have necessarily when they're sharing the screen with Lupin, although they do, although they do still have a presence. And what Fujiko Mine also, what the Fujiko Mine show also did, was introduced the kind of shit-eating, down and dirty thief of Lupin. Like he was a slime ball more than a little in that show. And 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 they do and they make you feel that with the like excellent musical score. Like Lupin's theme is like really like grungy, feels gross inside jazz, and that was its own thing. And I believe I don't I don't remember if part four came before or after, but part four came right around that time. And that was a total weird revelation of, oh shit, part four, part four is here. And then it was just kind of off to the races. And the thing that people forgot when Lupin was gone was, well, not that people forgot, but people, like, there's a churn in what, in what we love to watch, which is, Anime streaming has made seasonal slaves of us all in a way, which basically means that we don't. There's a, there's a perfect opportunity to not go looking for older stuff. And interestingly enough, if you want to go looking for older stuff, like you, you can generally do that on a service like Hulu because. The deal with Hulu is it's ad supported, so older things will make still make money because you'll make ad dollars off of the license. And so you can go. I think you can watch up to part three on Hulu just right now. And so like people who had up to part three until part four was announced, until Fujiko Mine, until Fujiko Mine was announced, were totally happy with it because it was it was essentially almost it was. Not free viewing, but it wasn't very expensive to like just watch watch yourself from Lupin and get and get a good hit of that of that intro music. <laughs> Sometimes, like you wake up in the morning, you're like, "Man, I need some Lupin the Third Part Two opening." Like, fucking hit me with that hard shit, man. And when Fujiko Mine was announced, and they made this big experimental weird more than a little erotic 
more than a little feminist thing with it and was directed by a female director it it kind of hit everybody like a ton of bricks and it, it, it opened the door again for oh we should be like we should be making more of this shit right why aren't we making more of this shit and so that's when you get part four and part four was revealed another this other point of Lupin, which is Japan is not necessarily the biggest market for Lupin. America isn't the biggest market for Lupin. This is a weird one. I'm not kidding. Italy is a wild market for Lupin the Third. Like they love that shit. Eat it up all the time. And I believe part four and parts of part five are both set in Italy because part four debuted in Italy first. Like, it, it didn't air in Japan first. It aired Italy first, in Italian first. And then went from Italy to Japan and America, which was a huge, weird deal. And I can tell you f from being in Italy and f from being in Italy, I have seen corner stores that are just, like, Lupin-themed corner stores. They... From what um, Nightly Breadsword had to say on his video, they have the equivalent of a Disney store just for Lupin the Third merch. They love this shit. In part four, they introduced some new characters and that were germane to the story. But what they also started to do with part four was they started to do. Something that Lupin the Third was not super known for in parts one through three. And they really started this actually in the Fujika Mind show. In that they And they really like nailed this down in the Fujika in the in Woman Called Fujika Mine. In that they put they they supplied not only an overarching story but an overarching story that functioned in the same way that the overarching story functions in Castle of Cagliostro. So if you've never seen a, like, if you've never seen, like, a standard part two episode of Lupin, they're always pretty, they're pretty much always, maybe, maybe the finales are, maybe you'll see the finale of, like, part one, two, or three is a two-parter, or the or the opening and the first episodes and the first, the premiere and end are two parts. But in the middle, the majority of the episodes were self-contained, and they were always like some very dense for what it was. Thing like Lupin escapes jail. Here's why he's in jail, and all this other stuff. And in fact, that's literally one. Like he, they put him in a supermax prison, and then he got it gets weird because he's like, I, I know that I know this man. Like he will not stay in this prison cell. He's he's fucking with me, and he's right. He would he was already right. But with Fujiko Mine, they introduced the kind of long longer form story that you would see traditionally in Lupin movies, like. Mystery of Mamo, or Castle of Cagliostro, or Red vs. Green, or any of the Lupin movies. 
into a longer format, like a show. And this kind of coincides with, like, the way TV was doing that as well. And what that allowed them to do was that allowed them to, like, really stretch stuff out and really give, like, these characters something to do. So in part six, they're, they're not going after, like, a treasure every week. They're going after one treasure and each little, like, momentary heist is, like, a stepping stone up to that thing. It's a very different feel, but... By doing that, and also, like I said, pulling stuff forward from every subsequent, from every season that came before, it feels, it feels like it's a lot of fun to watch, and it's more interesting to watch, because you can introduce characters who aren't just there for, like, a season. You can introduce characters, like, I think Part 5 had Inspector Nix, who was, like, the, who was essentially... What if you took Daniel Craig's James Bond and pit him against Lupin? Part four had, part four had his, I forget his fiance and ultimately wife's name. Like he he got married in part four, and it was weird. And like Fujiko got weird about it. <laughs> and the so what you have is you have this story that was penned by a guy who's trying to, like, make a self-insert James Bond fantasy in the 70s, originally, that has been su successfully brought for bought forward and adapted to the contemporary, like, storytelling landscape in a way that things like James Bond have really struggled like, if you go see James Bond movies, you kind of know what you're seeing. Like, there's little nuances and stuff, but, like, James Bond movies do not feel necessarily modern in a way that you would expect of any, of any other movie, even any other spy thriller movie. It doesn't mean they're not good. It doesn't mean that in that classic role, they're not excellent, but, like, they don't, they haven't shifted with the times in the same way that Lupin, that the Lupin property has shifted with the times, and sure enough, at the beginning of part six, Lupin straight up tells, in world, a character, and tells you, the viewer, like, this is the deal, like, I will adapt to whatever, like I'm not going away. This show will change into whatever into whatever it needs to be to tell a good story about a gentleman thief. And it it is a it's a really interesting thing. And the other really interesting thing is by having all of these different adaptations, you have the possibility for, and, and so, like, time markers associated with, like, red jacket, green jacket, blue jacket, like, blue jacket, red tie, or whatever the fuck. You can do things like they did in part five, where they told stories from different time periods of Lupin's, like, 
thievery career and had it all lead up to want to like the end uh, to like an end conclusion in the story the it's not easy for the for these shows to do for shows to do that for shows to survive through big weird changes one of the kind of phenomenal things about that movie Gundam Hathaway is that it does a really good job of modernizing Gundam in a way that just wasn't was like refusing to happen for a long time and one of the great things about which for Mercury is it takes that like a step way further. Like it's just like, no, we're going to make this weird and gay. Let's go. And it's going to be amazing. But so often like shows don't, especially properties that people love, don't do what Lupin does, what Lupin has done. They don't adapt. They don't change the way they function. If, for many, 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 like people making a new thing with the with an old property, if they saw something like part two, they were like, "Oh, we just need to make more of this." Like that. That's all we need to do, and we can print money. And they may not be wrong there, but from Fujiko Mine onward. They said, no, fuck this. We're, we're making this big, we're taking these leaps. We're making these, we're making this bargain. We're like, we're messing with the formula, not just a little, but a lot. It will still be Lupin. Like Lupin, Lupin the third will always be the main character. Actually, that's not true because um, the woman called Fujiko Mind too. Lupin will always be present, like he's in the title of everything. But we're gonna take this opportunity to tell a longer form story, to tell a less, to have a less episodic thing, to have a let, to make something where you can't just miss an episode that week, where you have to be paying attention the entire time. And a lot, but they, but they do keep just enough of the goofiness where it doesn't like go full back to like part one Lupin. It goes, but it goes far back enough to that where like he feels genuinely devious by, by the second episode of part six, you know that Lupin just killed some girl dad, like, in front of her, and she has some memory holes because of that shit, and some unresolved trauma. But, it fits in with the character. They've, they've, they've established this character, they've established this character who feels like he could do that. Or like he would have a reason to do that. And there's this really interesting thing that happens with shows like Lupin. In that the main character is 
technically a bad guy. He's stealing shit. Like he's and he's not stealing shit because he needs it. He's stealing shit mostly not even because he needs the money, but because he wants to do the to do the stealing. And that didn't that barely even really qualifies as an anti-hero thing. And yes, the movies oftentimes try to make him this like Robin Hood gentleman thief type character. But even the, the Miyazaki treatment did not take the like Lupin out of Lupin. It was a kinder, gentler, less abusive or like sociopath with a ton of riz as um, Breadsword called James Bond portrayal of Lupin. But it was also still him. Like he, he, he was not interested in getting the girl. He was in that in that movie. He was interested in getting the the treasure, the 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 printer for the ghost bills, and that doesn't even happen for him. And it's this kind of. It's this kind of portrayal of Lupin as a character that the show doesn't necessarily want to make you like him, but it what it's depending on is depending on the fact that you just follow this guy who's just kind of like freewheeling and fun-loving who also happens to be... You, actually, here's a good way to put it. Following Lupin, like, seeing Lupin on screen is like seeing Danny Ocean on screen. And if you've never seen in Ocean's Eleven, it's a, it's a trilogy of movies. I, if you can argue a quadrology of movies, if you want to include Ocean's Eight. Um, but it's a, that's a different thing. It's a trilogy of movies that follows this, like, big roving cast of thieves who do things like they steal millions of dollars from the Bellagio and MGM Grand. Only the main character is played very charismatically by George Clooney. And you just love to kind of see him scenery chew and do what he does. He's very charismatic. He's definitely doing a bad thing. Not for a good reason. He's just doing a bad thing. But he also doesn't feel like a bad human being. He just feels like he loves to take shit. And he's made a very good living off of taking other people's shit. And the that's what it feels like to watch Lupin, to like see him on screen and see him just kind of hang out with his buds or hang out with or like chill out in like their weird rented apartment in part four with Fuji code like lounging on the couch and going on like just kind of hating his life in the corner and Jigen just like smoking as hard as possible at all times and wishing Fujiko would leave. And so like just 
he's not meant to be a good person, but he's also not being portrayed as, like, the devil incarnate or anything. He's a dude. And he, by virtue of what he'd chosen to do with his life, what he clearly loved to do, he just, sometimes he's gonna have to kill somebody. Sometimes people get hurt. Sometimes you have to break an egg to make an omelet kind of thing. And that's not supposed to make you feel good about him. In fact, it's supposed to make you question why you're almost rooting for him in most of the, in most of in most of it. Fujiko Mine, you're like he's he's very creepy. <laughs> Fujiko Mine, he's like a different character almost. But that's because that show is about, like, early world, early life Fujiko kind of thing. But, it's a, it's a really interesting, really one-of-a-kind, only one in its class kind of property. And that's really why I wanted to talk about it here, because it you can watch, once again, there are six parts, there are basically seven parts, and there are tons of movies. You can watch... You can take a year away from the rest of anime and watch nothing but Lupin. And you will have plenty to watch. And you'll see plenty of different iterations of him. And that's because... The, a, the property's been around for so long that you... They just by necessity kind of have to do that. And B, it's been kind of given to people who are willing to do... Strange things with it. It's not like a holy property. It So, a great way to think about this is... Sword Art Online did not meaningfully change until the most recent part of Alicization. Where they're like, no, we're not going to show you more Kirito fan fiction. We're going to put him in a coma. And now it's every female character in this show's job to like deal with that. To like to deal with the world without power fantasy McFidget Spinner over here <laughs> doing it and just having the most bitches while it happens. And it took the writer of Sword Online a big personal journey to get there because he, I don't know if I've talked about this before in the podcast, but he came out and he said, like, I have. I have used sexual abuse as a crutch in my writing, and I see that now, and like I'm going to try and be a better human being and not fucking do that anymore. And then he kind of super did. He super did so hard that he's like, what if the main character would just did a coma? <laughs> what if I made like the entire back half of this bitch not about Kirito? And that took a long-ass time. That took longer than it should have. And I think part of what could have given him the license to do that, or that property license to do that, was the Gungale Online, like, side thing that happened. Because that would that was successful, even though it involved nobody from the original show. And while it's kind of pointless, it it is a... It was a step in the right direction for that property. Lupin's been doing that since day one, since like minute go, basically. Because, from what I remember from the Breadsword 
video once again. I will put the description in the uh, description of this po- in the video link in the description of this podcast. But the original director kind of like pieced out once he figured out like I'm maybe not cut out for doing this, and gave it to a whole bunch of other people, and that's why it feels so des- disparate in the beginning. And then it slowly irons out and it finds its way to being kind of the pinnacle of what it can be in the most recent, in my opinion, in the most recent part, part six. And on that note, this is where I'm going to end it. But if you like this podcast, new episodes of it come out every Thursday and every other Sunday. The next Sunday edition is literally this Sunday. But definitely subscribe to the podcast in whatever you're using to listen to me right now. There's also a YouTube channel that I will put a link to in the description. That is for the video versions of the Sunday podcast. If you just want to hear me, you don't need to go see me, see my face. But if you want to watch it as a video or listen to it as a video or whatever you want to do, Sunday editions go up every two weeks over on the YouTube page, which once again will have a link in the description of the podcast. But on that note, I have been Alex, this has been Lunchbox Radio, and I will talk to you Sunday.